everybody. Uh, man, I want to send some love out to everybody on the other side of the camera, whether you're at our East Campus, downtown Midway, Statesboro, uh, here in the room at Henderson, uh, watching on the live stream. Did I leave anybody out? Uh, you know what? We're trying to get everybody else in the region, and if I left you out, we're coming for you. Amen? We're coming for you. Hey, man, God has been doing some amazing things in the messages that we've been doing here on Blind Spots over the last few weeks. And I'm praying that a breakthrough is going to happen for some of us here today as well. Now, I spoke to a buddy of mine out in Colorado this week, and his doctor told him he has a 60% blind spot in his right eye. And when he told his wife that, she laughed. She said, you can look at the right-hand side of your car and tell that. <laughs> I'm like, man, what? He's got one of these little four-wheel drive urban assault vehicles, you know. that has got a big blind spot on the back right-hand side, uh, right where his blind spot is. He says, I got a blind spot in my blind spot. His wife says, I never feel closer to heaven than when I'm riding with you. <laughs> you, know? you know what? Blind spots are dangerous, man. And I'm telling you, as bad as a physical blind spot can be, I think it's even worse when you have a spiritual blind spot. Now, you know what Jesus said about this? Jesus said a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Say it with me, everybody. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Now, let me ask you a trick question. Here's a real hard question there. Ultra bright toothpaste. When I squeeze this, what's going to come out? Toothpaste. toothpaste, man. And if I refill this thing with mashed potatoes and I squeeze it, what's going to come out? Mashed potato, mashed potato toothpaste flavored mashed potatoes, right? And then if I fill it with mayonnaise and I squeeze it, what's going to come out? Mayonnaise. <laughs> Something, right? And when the world squeezes you, guess what comes out? What's inside you? The world doesn't do it to you. Nobody does it to you. It's in you. And when you feel a little bit of pressure, bro, it starts coming out. So over these last few weeks, you know, we've been letting God, God's word identify some of these blind spots in our hearts, you know, like inappropriate guilt, you know, that just hangs on and hangs on or toxic emotions like jealousy. And today we're going to talk about another blind spot that lots of us struggle with. And it's right in here, y'all. It's right in here. It's called anger. Everybody say anger. anger. Say it like you mean it. Anger. <laughs> say it like everybody else hears you say it. All right, now I'm just saying. Now, you know, some of us struggle with this a little bit more than others do. I read an email this week. This old guy wrote, I went to the grocery store. I wasn't in there for five or 10 minutes. At the most, I come out and a police officer is on the street writing parking tickets. So I went over to him and I said, hey, buddy, how about cutting us a break? And he just ignored me, kept right on writing the tickets. So I called him a few names under my breath thinking he couldn't hear me. I was wrong about that. He could hear me and he just glared at me and started writing another ticket for a broken taillight. And then I chose another choice name to call him. And this time he didn't even try to hide it. He just finished writing the ticket, put it on the windshield with the other one, started writing a third ticket. And this went on for a few minutes. And the more I abused him, the more tickets he wrote. Of course, honestly, I never got angry because my car was parked around the corner. <laughs> he said, you know, as you're getting older, it's important to have a little bit of fun every day. And he might have had a little bit of fun, but let me tell you, somebody going to be angry. Now, if you got online and you looked at what angers most Americans, you would see some common denominators. Uh, many surveys say waiting on people who are never on time. Now, if you're yes, <laughs> I got, got an unrequested amen on that one. I'm just telling you, if you're punctual, people like that annoy you being stuck in traffic. Man, I hate to admit this, but when somebody is poking along in the fast lane, 
I'm trying to find a way to take that Compassionate Christian sticker and have it fold down for a few minutes, you know? You know what I'm saying? Woo, daddy don't like that. How about slow service in the restaurant? Anybody here know what the official food of the ministry is? Mexican food. Mexican food. You know why? Because our kids are here at church longer than anybody else's kid. And when you walk into a Mexican restaurant, 30 seconds later, there is food on the table, chips and salsa. Can I get an amen? Yeah, that's why we love it. Listen, chips and salsa is anger management with pastor's kids. I'm just telling you. Busy parking lots. That's the top. That's one of the top 10, uh, you know, uh, anger inducers. Now, isn't it cool at almost all of our campuses, how nice it is that we try to get you ticked off right before you come in here, you know, to worship because of the parking lot thing. And I mean, the truth is all of us have a trigger. All of us have a fuse. Some of us have a long fuse. Some of us have a short fuse. But all of us from time to time wrestle with this blind spot of anger. Now, anybody want to guess what the surveys say is the number one cause of tension and anger? Number one, relationships. Relationships, man. That is the, you know, the one thing that brings us so much joy is also the one thing with the most potential to bring out agitation and anger. Now, I love this video. Have y'all seen this? Check this out now. Y'all check this. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing- You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, Ow. if you would just. <laughs> I love the line. I don't know why all my sweaters are snagged. I don't know. Love that line. Now listen, here's what I want to do today. I want to unpack a story of a really famous guy who struggled with a nail in his head called anger. And in fact, we talked about him just a couple of weeks ago. His name is David. And before David was the king of Israel, he was a young special forces soldier who literally led a troop of hundreds of highly trained mercenaries. And in this story, it's about an anger that is in his heart that came gushing out because somebody foolishly started squeezing him. All right, so turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25, we're going to start reading the story of David and Nabal. All right, now this is kind of a famous story. It starts in verse 2. First uh, Samuel 25 says, there was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep. He had 1,000 goats. It was sheep shearing time. Uh, this man's name was Nabal. His wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. Now, you know, the Bible is really stingy on, you know, descriptors and adjectives and that. And so th this must have been an amazing woman. 
But Nabal was a descendant of Caleb, and he was crude and mean in all of his dealings. So you can imagine what he was like. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with the message, this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you and to your family and everything you own. Uh, I'm told it's sheep shearing time. And while your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them. Uh, nothing was ever stolen from them. You know, David said, when all your flocks were in our area, we, they were under my protection. Uh, ask your own men. They'll tell you that this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Would you please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David? Now, David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and then they waited for a reply. And Nabal said, who is this fellow David to the young men? I mean, who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I slaughtered from my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? So David's young men returned and they told David what Nabal had said. Get your sword, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. And then 400 men started off with David. Now let's just hit pause here for a minute. How many of you have ever seen the movie Troy or Gladiator or Braveheart? Because if you have, you know what's getting ready to happen. You have a visual picture in your mind of what's getting ready to happen. This is a culture of honor. And David, out of honor, protected Nabal's flocks. And now David has been dishonored. And so he is saddling up with 400 trained warriors. And they're going to square off with who knows how many men working for Nabal. But David don't care. He doesn't care how many it is because his blood is up. He is hot and he knows his men are battle tested. They are all hard men and they have been insulted and they are spoiling for a fight. Now, let's just stop right there for a second. Counselors tell us that there are five stages of anger. And in this story, David goes immediately to level four uh, and he is on the way to DEFCON 5 pretty fast. All right. Now, let me help you think through these stages of anger so you know how it works, just in case there's any of this in your heart. Uh, the first stage is irritation. This is where you get on an airplane and a baby just starts squalling. And instead of saying, let me pray for the mom of that child, you get irritated. Or you go home after a hard day of work, you sit down on the back deck and your neighbor cranks up his chainsaw. Or you got some joker driving slow in the fast lane. Has that already come up before one time? <laughs> Or you get stranded in the bathroom because somebody didn't replace the toilet paper and everybody knows that's the rule. Now, it's not the end of the world. It just irritates you. And if you let that irritation simmer, irritation will go to indignation. Say it with me, everybody. Indignation. Now, indignation can be good or indignation can be bad. Now, if you all steamed up because some slow poke is driving in the fast lane slower than you like and he's blocking you and that's just not what you want, so you start thinking dark thoughts about that guy. What's in your heart starts coming out. You can blame them, but brother, nails in your head. On the other hand, if you see some injustice, you see some kid getting bullied, you see some older person being disrespected, dude, someone doing something that you know is wrong and it raises up some righteous indignation in you, I think that's a good thing. Now listen, Paul was a really good friend of Jesus and he said, don't sin by letting anger control you. Now look at this verse. He is not saying that anger is wrong. Jesus got angry. That's not always wrong. He's saying being controlled by anger is wrong. So man, how do you keep out of those weeds? Well, Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it quick. Because if you don't, 
Anger will give a foothold to the devil. What is that? Free rent in your heart to the devil? Last thing in the world you want is to give the devil a free room in your house. And that's what unresolved anger does. You know, when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was in high school, <clears throat> he won an oratorial contest sponsored by the Elks Club. And man, he and a beloved teacher were returning home in triumph, riding on a bus, and then some white passengers got on, and this was in the bad old days. And so the white bus driver ordered Dr. King and his teacher to give up their seats and cursed at him because he didn't do it fast enough. And King wanted to stay seated, but his teacher urged him to just keep quiet, just get up, let's just obey the law, weird as the law was back in the day. And they had to stand in the aisle of that bus for 90 miles all the way back to Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Dr. King said, that night will never leave my memory. He told an interviewer decades later, he said, that was the angriest I have ever been in my life. He was filled with indignation because of racial discrimination. That's righteous indignation. He was filled with indignation because of the sinful behavior of that bus driver. But rather than let that simmer into hate, he let that indignation begin to shape his life's work. And think about it that night, he said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Now, what's in that heart? What kind of heart responds like that? Let's thank God for a, God, a world changing decision like that, man. Come on, y'all. I mean, that's a good heart, right? Now, listen, irritation can move you to indignation and it can be righteous indignation or it can be petty indignation. And if it's petty indignation and you decide to just live with it, listen, man, Doctors are telling us today that's where migraines and digestive problems and insomnia and anxiety and depression and high blood pressure and eczema and heart attack and strokes come from. And so when the scripture says, don't let the sun go down in your anger, deal with it quickly, it's because Jesus loves you and he doesn't want you to stroke out. But man, if your anger continues to build, uh, it will, you know, in either a noble or a petty way, dude, it leads to wrath. Everybody say wrath. And that ain't all bad either. Can be. We're talking about the wrath of the Lord is action against evil. Man, this is, this is where you may be stewing and spewing over, you know, every news story, sitting in your chair at the house, hollering at the television. Or it may be a sense of justice that gets activated. And dude, you stand up and you intervene on behalf of some child or some elderly person or some classmate or some friend who's been abused by her husband and doesn't know what to do. Somebody's being bullied and you know it's not right and you can do something about it and you go do something about it. That can be heroic. Heroic. You know, Aristotle said it this way, a man who is angry on the right grounds against the right person in the right manner at the right moment for the right length of time deserves to be praised. And I think everybody ought to say amen. Now, if your anger stops right there with appropriate wrath, all good. But let me tell you, if you let it grow, the next stage is called fury. Everybody say fury. fury. I don't think this is ever good. I'm telling you, fury is that momentary lapse in reason. It's the warrior madness. It's, the, it's a, a lapse of sanity where you start doing things and saying things that you generally regret for the rest of your life. I mean, you just snap. And did you say something awful? Or, or you, you say something to your kid that they will never forget. Say something to your wife. She will never forget your husband. That will cut him the rest of his life. You, 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 you know, you get mad. You punch somebody. You run somebody off the road. You drag them into court and sue them for everything they're worth. And let me tell you, if fury isn't dealt with, it can evolve into rage. Everybody say rage. rage. 
And let me tell you, rage is that animalistic, inhuman, brutal act of violence that makes healthy whole people cringe. And thank God very few of us ever get to that stage because if you do, you know you will live with the consequences of that behavior for the rest of your life probably in prison. And you know, psychologists say, psychologists say that anger is technically the second emotion. Man, when you're in a difficult circumstance, anger is not the first thing you feel. For example, you come home late again and you find your wife foot stomping mad and then she just glares at you and says, well, why don't you just set up a cot at the office? You spend more time there than you do with your home and family anyway. That battery acid churning in her stomach, that didn't start when you pulled in the driveway. Hurt comes first and then anger. And what she's really feeling is disappointment. But instead of verbalizing that hurt, she just jumps to anger. You know, you wish she just said, I just want to have an adult conversation. Man, I need some affection. I, I need some of your attention. Then maybe she would have gotten it. But instead of verbalizing that hurt, her sense of loneliness and abandonment, she skips over that and just goes to indignation and anger. Did you know that in America, a man is more likely to be crushed by a vending machine than attacked by a shark? Did you know that? I, it's the truth. I'm telling you, two to three men a year die in our country because they put money in and what doesn't happen? <laughs> Drink don't drop, right? Candy doesn't drop and a sense of indignation rises up. Hey, I paid for that. This is unjust. Then wrath, then fury, and then And the next thing you know, he's under an answer machine. He's under a vending machine. Now, that's goofy. But I'm telling you, it illustrates the fact that everybody in this and the sound of my voice has the capacity to overreact. I love this quote from John Weiss. The end never justifies the meanness. That's true, isn't it? The end never justifies the meanness. And you know what the scary part about anger is? By the time you get to fury and rage, do you think you're justified? <laughs> You've convinced yourself that you're justified. I have a friend who has such a bad temper that he can go from irritation to blind rage in seconds. I'm mean, going to have to drag him off of people. And every time I've ever talked to him about it, I can't help it, man. They make me do it. And then he gets mad at me for bringing it up. And let me tell you, when he finally started abusing his kids, his wife said, that's enough. That's enough. And he lost every good thing in his life because he lied to himself about out of control anger. So if you have this blind spot, <clears throat> if you have that in your heart, how do you keep, how do you keep it from taking you there? Well, let me, let me just give you a few things to consider. If you need relief from the blind spot of anger, let me give you some suggestions. Number one, research the source of your resentment. Research. Start with the why. You know, if Jesus thinks that what's coming out of you is already in you. But you ought to take his word for that. Nobody makes you like this. That anger is in you. It's in you right now. That's why it comes out. Now, do you know how most counseling sessions begin? Why are you here? Why are you angry? Why are you hurt? And as crazy as it seems, most people will not ask that question until somebody else pushes them to do it, which is the great thing about Christian counseling. Praise the Lord. But it's also why a minor irritation could just morph to rage. And you know, some people are like volcanoes. They're spewers. They think Bobby Knight is a saint, right? They want to blow just like Bobby. 
Other people are steward. Other people are stewards. You know, they don't spew, they stew. They just, they are quietly resentful grudge holders. And then they tell themselves that they're more spiritual than those spewers are. And not really. I mean, you may not be as extroverted about your anger, but you get just as hot and you stay just as hot and you nurse that resentment sometimes longer until hate and then cancer and ulcers and hypertension and God knows what else comes your way. I mean, don't you know, don't you know, educated, accomplished guys? I mean, with degrees and careers and all that, and they can't play a game of pickup basketball without going off on somebody. I have a pastor friend like that. I mean, a guy who has been preaching all his life about self-control and showing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And he has never asked why competitiveness has compromised his character and ruined his testimony in his community. Have you? Have you ever asked why I always got to win? Why have I always got to be right? You know where the answer is? <laughs> it's right there in your heart, man. It ain't them kids. It's not that spouse. It's not the job. It's in here. So research that. Why? Number two, reflect before you react. Reflect before you react. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool. Everybody say fool. A fool vents all of his anger, but a wise person brings himself under control. You know, uh, Will Rogers said people who regularly fly into rage seldom make a good landing. <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that. I saw a personal ad this week that said, for sale, new wedding dress, never worn, will trade for shotgun. <laughs> now, I don't even want to know the story behind that. You know, I don't even want to know what that's all about. She might deserve a shotgun after whatever her fiance did to her. But I doubt that joker is worth going to prison for. So in the heat of the moment, reflect before you react. I mean, before you do something, before you say something in anger. What, what if you could just take one deep breath, right? Just take a moment and reflect on the outcome of what you're thinking about doing or saying you know, because you're so angry. I mean, have you ever heard of the pebble boulder theory of communication? Sarah and I teach on this in marriage conferences all the time. This is the theory that your wife can say something to you and it hits you like a pebble and just bounces right off because God wired men, so that doesn't bother them so much. But if you were to say exactly the same thing to your wife because God wired her differently, man, that same comment would hit her like a boulder. You do damage. You know that, right? Because if you don't, you may be too dumb to be married. And I mean, thank God you're here getting smarter. Dude, you got to reflect. What damage is this going to do to my kids? What damage is this going to do to my spouse? If I actually say or do what I'm thinking, Jesus said, count the cost. Count the cost first. Now, third, you know, third way that you can get a handle on anger is to restrain your remarks. You do realize you don't have to say everything you feel, right? You don't have to say Everything you think. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Say it with me, everybody. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, friends, this is a challenging verse because I'm telling you the tongue is one of the most amazing muscles in the human body. It helps us taste food like bluebell ice cream and fried chicken. Anybody want to say praise the Lord? Yeah. 
but it also enables us to talk. And, and you know, on one end of the verbal spectrum, spectrum, we read stories to our children and we sing praise songs to God and we pray to God to help other people. We use our tongue to speak an encouraging word to other folks when they're hurting. And on the other end of that spectrum, we use our tongue to tear each other down, lie, cuss, rip each other to shreds, manipulate. And this is why James, the brother of Jesus, said, everyone. <laughs> now let's just hit pause here because there ain't much wiggle room in that, right? There ain't no weasel claws in this verse. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Say it with me, everybody, on all the campuses. Come on, y'all, big voice. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. All right, here's the final step, and we're going to take a few minutes here. <clears throat> you need to release that desire to retaliate. Now, I think this is one of the most challenging uh, uh, calls for all of us. Let me just explain this to you. Uh, this is a picture of Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of the Last Supper. This is a classic, it's amazing, amazing thing. You probably recognize it. I understand that da Vinci's plan was to use his worst enemy as Judas Iscariot. I mean, he had his worst enemy, guy he hated more than anybody in the world. He literally was going to paint that guy as Judas Iscariot. And he painted him into that painting and left it up there to the last week before he finished the painting. And before he finished that painting, he began to understand. His heart began to change. He said, painting this, this uh, scene of the Last Supper helped me realize the message of this painting. This is a message of love and forgiveness. Man, this is Jesus. He's trying to portray on the night that he was betrayed in the upper room with the disciples that he loved, that he was getting ready to give his life for. And he said when he felt the, the meaning of this and the power of it, he changed the picture and he took the face of his sworn enemy off Judas Iscariot and he painted his own face there. You know, Abraham Lincoln, one of our greatest presidents, I understand when he had a problem with a fellow attorney or a politician, he would sit down at his desk and he would write a scathing, mean-spirited letter, tell that joker off, and I mean the harsh language in that letter would just let him get all that stuff off his chest. And then he was, when he was done, his practice was to wad that letter up and throw it in the fireplace and then write a complimentary letter to that enemy. Now, our leader, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, which all of us who are on the New Testament Challenge read this week, our leader says, settle matters quickly. Settle matters quickly. Now, we all like those first two words, settle matters. We want to get that done. But the torque in this verse is in the third word. Do it quick. Now, we might disagree on what quickly means, but Jesus said quickly. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Translation, deal with that anger, deal with that resentment before the day's over. Because, man, if you go to bed angry, you're probably going to get up angry. And when you do, you'll have a much less of a sense of urgency about making this right. And then who knows how long you're going to stay angry and nurse that anger and let another day go by and another day go by. And man, you might spew or stew on that anger for the rest of your life. And I'm telling you, man, that will be bad for every relationship, for your spiritual health and your physical health. 
So I just think Jesus is just smart. Settle matters quickly. Now let's go back to the story of David and Nabal because David's mighty men, you know, they're bearing down on Nabal's compound. Uh, you, you need to read this story because I'm telling you, these men have only one objective. They're going to that community to kill Nabal because of this terrible insult. They're going to kill every man at that place. They're going to take everything else back with them. And man, Nabal is a fool, but he is married to an amazing woman named Abigail and she is a peacemaker. She is a woman of immense emotional intelligence. And she realized that her husband has foolishly picked a fight. There ain't no way in the world he can win. And so this wise woman goes into action. Man, she gets all of her friends together and they start baking cakes. And then judging by what happened in the story, I'm pretty sure it was raisin pound cakes. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Because I know with me that covers a multitude of sins and it probably did for him too. So man, she and all those ladies in that camp got together. Verse 18, it says they baked all these great cakes, baked all this good food. Uh, man, they grabbed some wineskins. They rode out down the road to try to head David off. They're trying to meet him before he gets there. Now you talk about emotional intelligence. I'm telling you, Abigail is loaded with it. She knows that if those military men who've been out in the field want to do anything more than fight, it's eat some good home-cooked food. And so she meets those guys, David dismounts, every, she laid the food out, man, everybody eats, everybody drinks. And then Abigail goes to David and she reasons with him. And man, it's kind of an amazing thing. I mean, look how David responds. David says to Abigail in verse 32, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Isn't that how God often works? You know, when you're in that moment of temptation, he sends somebody. We talked about Cain and Abel last week and how God reaches out to Cain before he does the evil deed. And you know, right, right when you're about to you know, blow, God will always send somebody. He'll send a message, a memory. Uh, you'll see something, you'll see somebody. And he sent Abigail. Thank, praise the God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. And then David accepted her present and told her, return, return home in peace. I've heard what you said. Uh, we won't kill your husband. <laughs> Thanks for that, all right? Now, friends, if that doesn't convince you that the scripture has insight into the emotional makeup of men, I don't know what would. But let's, let's get down to this thing for a minute. The most difficult thing God will ever ask you to do is to forgive other people. And the most expensive thing you will ever choose to do is to forgive somebody who has hurt you. But you don't think it was easy for God to forgive you, do you? You don't think that was a layup? I mean, forgiving you cost him the life of his son. High price paid. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I've wrestled with forgiveness at different points in my life. And like you, I don't wanna be a grudge holder. I mean, we don't want to grow up to be angry, bitter people. We're smart folks. We've read the Bible. Man, we know that bitterness will suck the life right out of you. So I've had to go to God and say, Lord, you know, whether they repent or not, whether they ever ask me to forgive them or not, will you please give me the power to forgive them? Lord, like you forgave me and take this anger out of my heart. Now, Lord, I, I'm realistic. I know we'll never be able to reconcile unless they humble themselves too and they repent and they seek forgiveness. I will never be able to trust them if they don't repent. Consequently, our relationship will never be the same. But Lord, I don't need to trust them to release the resentment I feel toward them. 
I don't need to trust them to, resent the, to release the resentment I feel toward them. So Lord, please help me give them the gift that you gave me. Help me to give forgiveness so that I do not become a slave to anger because of them. You know, Paul said, be kind to each other and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, you know what that means, right? That means that God has given us a gift. And it's a beautiful thing. It's awesome. He gave us forgiveness. We didn't deserve it. Uh, we didn't earn it. Uh, and then he calls us to give the same thing to other people. Uh, he wants us to forgive others the way that he forgave us. And so we just blow that anger out by extending forgiveness to other people. <laughs> now that's the problem. That's the problem right there. I forgive and then I see them at the mall. Or I see somebody on social media who's writing something nice about them and you know what my first thought is? You don't know what they did to me. If you knew what they did to me, you wouldn't be writing that about them. And then that anger starts building up and that flame starts flickering all over the place. And, I'm, and now I'm starting to feel guilty. I'm not sleeping at night. And I feel like, well, doggone, you know what? I thought I'd forgiven them. I thought I'd got this behind me. And then Satan starts beating me. You don't forgive. You don't forget. Nah, 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 nah. Listen, you don't need to do that. Man, when that flame of anger goes back up, you know what you do? Forgive them again. Just say, <laughs> and then maybe you'll have to do it again. And you know what? Maybe sometimes you just say, Lord, it's me again. <sighs> I'm trying to get past. You know what, Lord? I'm not living with this anger. I'm not letting this just run me. I'm not letting it own me. <sighs> I, I can forgive 70 times 7. Lord, just like you've forgiven me. Amen? Amen? And if we do it long enough and we do it strong enough, at some point we pray it won't come back on. We know it won't come back on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of, you know, when God puts the fire out, that's a good thing. Can I get an amen? When God puts the fire out. Now listen, because you have to pray about it 10 times, doesn't mean you're not sincere. It means you're devoted. You are committed to releasing your right to hate them, resent them, boil in anger over them. And then God will help you put that flame out. Now, let me be honest with you. There is somebody who intentionally did something evil to hurt my family years ago. And I still struggle with feelings of anger and resentment toward them every now and then. Your preacher. How many times have you heard me preach on forgiveness? And I still struggle with that. There's a couple of people in my life that I've had a problem forgiving and forgetting just like that little candle. And you know what I've had to do? I've had to go to the Lord again and again and again and again. And ask for help. I'll tell you, I did more than that. I went to a professional Christian counselor for two years trying to understand why. Why do I have this anger? Why does it keep flaring up and flaring up and flaring up? And I went to that counselor and researched with that guy and reflected with that guy. And it provided amazing insight and it helped me restrain my words and then release that anger and take those shackles off. And give me a handle I needed to walk in freedom. And my friend, that is what God wants for you. Now here's what you need to know about your Father in heaven. The Lord is compassionate and gracious 
and slow to anger and abounding in love. And aren't you glad? If you're glad, let me hear you say amen. amen. Let's say it all together. Big voice, y'all, come on. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your daddy. That's your dad. His DNA is in you. Amen? If you're a follower of Jesus, his DNA is in you right now. He does not want any son or daughter of his to be a slave, not to anger or anything else. He wants you to be like him. Imagine how people will look at you at the end of this week if you make a commitment today to be intentionally compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love, just like your dad. Father, there's no easy steps here today. There's really no simple steps. I mean, anger does not accomplish the righteous desire that you have for your world. And the evil one beats us with this stick. He fills our heart with it. Oh, Lord, we fill our heart with it. And then we blame other people for it. And, Father, we're done with that. We're done with that. And I pray, God, today that there will be people who will research and they will reflect and they will restrain and they will release the anger that they have carried around like a badge of honor for who knows how long. I pray, God, that they will release it today and lay it at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.